Zechariah 9, verses 9 to 13. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoner of, prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will resolve, uh, restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, Zion, against your sons, Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. The second reading comes from Matthew, uh, chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And the third reading is from Matthew 21, uh, verses 1 to 13. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus at the temple. Uh, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, 
he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening, and it's uh, good to be able to open God's Word and to share with you today. If you have a Bible, we're primarily going to focus uh, on Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Uh, you heard it read earlier. You did a wonderful job reading the passage tonight. Thank you so much for that. And uh, we're going to look at, um, oh, excuse me here, we're going to look at um, really the, the, how we're sent to the harvest at Easter time is the title of the message and, and the theme of the message sort of throughout. Um, Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is kind of a, uh, what we might call a middle section in a lot of ways. Um, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the most famous sermon given by the most famous teacher who ever gave a sermon. Uh, and then we come over to Matthew 10, and it's Jesus sending His disciples out on mission for the first time. So Matthew 5 through 7 is about kingdom living, and Matthew chapter 10 is about kingdom mission. And so here we find this middle section, chapter 8 and 9, are sort of the, uh, the middle section. So we're going to focus in there, and we're going to focus specifically in on Matthew chapter 9, uh, beginning at 35, verse 35, and going all the way to verse 37. Now, um, the passage ends with a prayer. Jesus literally tells His disciples to pray for something. And so that's where we're going to go, that's where we're going to end up, is Jesus telling His disciples to pray for something. So that's kind of preparing you, uh, but Matthew is going to lead us to that point, uh, and we're going to end up ultimately where Jesus says to His disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into His harvest field. We're going to work back from that idea, but the theme of my message is clearly going to be how we as followers of Jesus are sent to the harvest at Easter time. That's going to be where we're headed. That's going to be the theme of what we're looking at today, because I really think that the future of, you know, I, I, 10 years ago, I had the privilege of sitting right there where Justin is, right there with my daughter 10 years ago, and to see what the Lord has done and continues to do is a wonderful thing. But for churches around the world, not just Churchill Anglican, but for churches around the world, the key to our future is faithfully engaging people who don't know Christ, and we have a unique opportunity to do that at Easter time. Now, I don't know the future of this church. I'm, I don't know the future of any church. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, and I work at a nonprofit organization, so I don't know. But here's what I do know, is I do know that in this time, like in any time, when God's people join Jesus on mission, they seek to engage people around them, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. So, that being said, we've read the passage. Now there's going to be three parts of the passage I want to walk through together. Three things in the passage that we're going to walk through together. You can follow along in your, what do you call it, worship folder? Your piece of paper. You can follow along in your piece of paper. Surely you have a name for the piece. It's okay, whatever it is. That piece of paper that they gave you, you can follow along. So number one in our outline is the good news of the kingdom. Number one is the good news of the kingdom. And in here we see that uh, Jesus is speaking uh, in just a few verses, and at this point, uh, Matthew is telling us what's going on. Matthew is giving us some context. Let's take a look at what Matthew describes. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, uh, this text here is, it's, if it sounds similar to you, you may have read the Gospel of Matthew before, because Matthew uses this description, Jesus teaching, preaching, and healing, as um, almost like a pause in a section, and he starts a new section. 
So this is almost word for word, almost verbatim in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And so Matthew here is resetting a section, and we're about to go into Matthew chapter 10, which is a very big shift. We don't have time to get into it, but it's a very big shift because everything before Matthew 9.35 was about Jesus' ministry. Jesus did this, Jesus did that. He was teaching, preaching, and healing. But then after Matthew 9.35, he has the disciples and apostles join him on that mission. And so this is a key turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. But prayer is key to that. Remember, this whole section is leading up to a prayer where Jesus says to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. So, so, so again, it's also worth noting that Jesus says that he is, uh, that Matthew explains Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So the king has come. That's what we see on Palm Sunday. They're recognizing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Right, so the king has come, and we know the king has come, and when he has come, he has brought the kingdom with him. So now as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you're invited to join Jesus on his kingdom mission in the world. And so that's where this is leading in verse 38, but it starts that Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, preaching, teaching, and healing. So we pray, we pray the kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's literally what we pray in Matthew 6, 11. So the king has come, the kingdom has come, it's already here, but it's not yet fully here. So we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But Jesus is actually speaking, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And what we're going to see in just a moment is Matthew is going to invite us into the mission of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. So we start with, number one, uh, the good news of the kingdom. And we see that we're leading to a prayer, and that prayer is going to be to join Jesus on his mission in Matthew chapter 10. That's number one. Uh, number two on our outline, if you're a note taker, you can follow along with me. Number two is the needs of the world around us. The needs of the world around us. Now, if you are here and you're familiar with the idea of Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is a time of crowds. Um, now, crowds came to Jesus on multiple occasions. We're going to look at some of them. But here, as he's coming into Jerusalem, Justin's already reminded you that in the Luke passage that describes this entry, uh, they actually, Jesus wept when he looked over Jerusalem. Uh, here in the Matthew passage that we also, you also read a wonderful job in the Matthew passage, um, they're saying Hosanna, but there's crowds. We know that when there are crowds, Jesus feels compassion for them. Let's look specifically at where it actually says that in the text. So that's in Matthew 9, verse 36. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So uh, he had compassion. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But they were harassed and helpless. In the Greek, this portion of the Bible is written in Greek and then translated into English. In, in, in Greek, uh, the harassed and helpless are actually very strong and vivid words, right? Torn apart, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But the main word I want to focus on is the word compassion. If you have a Bible open, you want to circle that word. I want to explain a little bit what it means. In the Greek, it's like kidzomai, and it's a very strong word in the Greek. 
Um, and it doesn't translate well into English. Let me explain why. Not, not all words can translate with their full meaning. For example, in Greek, they had multiple words that mean love, and we tend to use one word for all kinds of things that mean love. Um, so, splagnizomai is actually a kind of compassion that's a deep and abiding compassion that doesn't, as I said, translate well. Now, I will tell you, um, I'm, I find even in English, right here, I'm speaking English to people who speak English, that I have to ask, I have to ask Justin, what does that word or phrase mean? Like a dog's breakfast, is that a word, that, is that a phrase that you know? I've never heard that before in my life. He said, well, it's a dog's breakfast. I was like, okay, I have a dog and breakfast is delicious. So I didn't know what that meant, but I, go I actually looked it up. So I quietly just Googled it and it's really a thing. I didn't know if Justin was making things up. No, but it, my dog is very neat. What kind of sloppy dog do you have? Um, it's a dog's breakfast, right? So, um, so, so, you know, Winston Churchill said of the UK and the US that we were two nations divided by a common language. And sometimes I feel that way, right? Even learning words here that I use differently because, um, you know, we speak a little differently. But sometimes words don't translate fully into English. And this word, compassion, is one of them. Because the word compassion here speaks about, um, it, it kind of literally, it means to have, to be moved in one's, um, literally means bowels, to be moved in one's inward parts. Because uh, they would see back then that they would say that the, the, the seat of compassion, concern, and pity is in one's bowels, the, the core of our being. So we see, right, we see elsewhere, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but we see elsewhere, like in Philippians 1.8, uh, Paul writes, and he says, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So, so yearning and affection, this compassion that Jesus has. Now, um, like I mentioned, I have three daughters, which I've since learned that the standard staff allocation of children at this church is actually four. But I have three daughters, and so, um, and, and not planning to have any more. Uh, but the three daughters I have, um, I've taken two of them to Australia. I've had two of them here, in addition to taking my wife at one trip. And my, my youngest daughter sat right there, right where Justin is, sat right there 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we sat there and had a wonderful visit and, and, and learned a lot while we were here. Well, about a, a little while before we came, we had a, a very scary moment with her. Um, she was, uh, she, she made national news. She was uh, bit by a tick, a little bug, uh, and she got something called Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which there's all kinds of variations. She got a very serious one and was very sick, was in a, was in a children's hospital for over a week. Um, it, it didn't look good for a while. She, she's fine, but it was a very scary time. And I remember we went to the emergency room on Sunday. By the time we were in the hospital on Wednesday, they had all these doctors, these specialists on the phone and all these monitors. And, and my heart was just broken for my little girl. Maybe you've, if you're a parent, you know the, maybe the hardest thing you experience is the, the difficulty that a child, your child is going through. So it, it hurt. It literally hurt in the core of my being, in my, in my inward parts. I ached for my daughter. That gets at this word, this compassion. So Jesus didn't have this like random, I'm generally concerned, like, like maybe I, I was concerned that somebody had to walk to church tonight and didn't have their umbrella and they got rained on. I'm, I have compassion for them. No, no, no. It's much, much more than that. That's the kind of compassion that Jesus has, this in your bowels, depths of compassion, right? Um, and and so, so this is the kind of compassion that Jesus has for people who don't have him as their shepherd. Right? I don't want you to miss this, right? They were, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
He sees the crowds, the crowds at Palm Sunday, the crowds who on Good Friday would call to crucify him, the crowds who would find him whenever he tried to get alone. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he is the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is what he does. This is what he, what he, why he came. Then he's explained that the higher hand is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. He abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me because my father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So there's clearly a link here, compassion and Jesus being a good shepherd, people not having a good shepherd and Jesus having compassion for them. Now, this is a common theme for Jesus. He'd often would go away, the crowds would find him, he would respond to them, and he would have compassion on them. Matthew 14, 14 says he had compassion on them. Another crowd found him, he had compassion on them. Remember, this is leading to a prayer, but before we get to the prayer, Matthew wants us to see the compassion, the deep-rooted compassion Jesus had for people who were not of the sheep of him as the good shepherd. And I hope that you have that compassion for people who don't know the Lord. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I've never gotten over the fact that Jesus saved me, and I hope that you haven't gotten over the fact that he rescued you. Um, you know, and I still, you know, I, I haven't grown up in a non-Christian home. Most of my family members aren't Christians, and I have a deep concern and compassion for them because I know that Jesus saved me. He rescued me. He's my Savior. He saved me. Um, I remember uh, the day very vividly when I heard the gospel and responded to the gospel. My mother had become a Christian. Our family was having a lot of difficulties, a lot of conflict, a lot of challenges. My mother first trusted in Jesus and she really wanted to get her son to be right with the Lord. So I got in trouble one day, as I often did, this kid growing up at, outside of New York City. And my mother, um, my mother uh, punished me by sending me to youth camp, church youth camp, which I will tell you is not exactly every youth camp director's dream is to have this, this young boy show up because he got punished. But there I was, unhappy to be there. But I had to go because my mother grounded me, punished me by sending me to camp. So I heard the gospel there, um, trusted in Christ, received the good news of the gospel by grace and through faith. And I remember uh, the speaker saying, among other things, sharing the gospel, um, that he said, I was, it, was a, it was an Anglican Episcopal youth camp, uh, and charismatic Anglican Episcopal youth camp, actually. And so uh, they, were a lot of, they were very excited. There was a lot of enthusiasm. And, and he said, uh, now listen, when you go home, to the new Christians like me, there were several of us, I want you to go and tell the first person you know that's not a Christian and tell them that you have been, uh, received Jesus as your Savior, you've been saved. And so I said, okay. So I, I went home, uh, all this enthusiasm, and the first person that I saw was my father, who was, who was not a Christian, um, he's still not a Christian to this day. So I, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I sat him down. He said, yes. I said, Dad, are you saved? And he looked at me with this puzzled look and he said, saved from what? And I said, I don't know, but I just was and you need to be. Um, and that was the first beginning of my sharing with my dad. Why? Because I wanted my dad and I want my father to hear and respond to the good news of the gospel. Decades later, I still share the gospel with my dad. Why? Because I want to have the compassion that Jesus has for people who are like sheep without a shepherd, 
My dad and I are close. He's a great grandfather. He's a good friend. He's a good dad. Went through a lot of hard times in his life, but walked on the other side. But I know that Jesus has compassion for him, and I want to share in Jesus' compassion and continue to share the gospel with him. Now, Jesus in just a minute is going to tell us to pray. He's going to say, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. You might say, Ed, I can't think of anybody to pray for that the Lord might send workers into the harvest field. And if we get to the end of the message and you don't have anybody to pray for, you can pray for Ed Stetzer's dad, that the workers in the harvest would share the good news with him. So that's number one. We've already gone through number one and looked at first the good news of the kingdom. And then we looked at number two, and we looked specifically about, well, Jesus' compassion and, and the needs of the world around us, the crowds that he had compassion for. Number three, and finally, we're going to look at the need for a Savior. And I see, Justin, you've, you, you have my, my notes do not have a U in the word Savior. So you have properly edited my incorrect American spelling. It was misspelled, so you fixed it. Did it show up on your spell checker as misspelled? It does not show up on my spell checker as misspelled. So, because again, we have to learn to speak proper English in America. And this, I'm going to close with this. And uh, you know what it means when a guest speaker from America says, I'm going to close with this in the last service of the day? Absolutely nothing. But let's go ahead and see uh, what we can do anyway. Number three, the need for a Savior. So now Jesus is speaking, and he's about to tell the disciples to pray for the harvest, keeping in mind he, he had compassion for them, like sheep without a shepherd, and then he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So Jesus, who has compassion for those who are like sheep without a shepherd, is now speaking to the harvest, which is a word picture, meaning those who do not yet know Christ, who might trust and follow Christ, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's a beautiful passage. It's a passage that may be familiar to us. So you might say at this point, Ed, you're coming here and Australia is more secular than where you come from, and that's true. Uh, you're coming here and you might understand some of the challenges that people are not open and receptive here to, uh, to an invitation to church. They're not, they're not willing to hear the good news of the gospel. They, they would find it quite jarring if you sat down and said, are you saved like you did to your father? Which I will tell you, I have, I have sharpened my witnessing skills since that conversation. Um, say, so it's too different, it can't happen here. So, so and I get it, like, and I could, I could show you, I could give you examples, I could give you uh, stories, I could give you statistics, and you could easily say, well, that's different because you're you're in an American context. So, so rather than do that, I actually uh, want to share with you something from Australia. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Ruth Powell, she leads the, uh, the uh, National Church Life Survey here in Australia. She's been doing this for a long time. We, we worked together on a research project 10 years ago. And so, um, so Ruth Powell actually, they did a release in, uh, I think it was or just like months ago, like just, just in, they released it in 2023. And this is from their release. This is from the, the release they did. You can find it online. It's from the National Church Life Survey people. And in December 22, the Australian Community Life Survey asked Australians, not Americans, not Canadians, Australians, if they would go to church this Easter if a close friend or family member invited them. Now, I know. I know immediately we can hear this data and say, well, people say, but they don't necessarily come. And I get that, right? So I I've been a pollster, I've polled people, and I know that people don't always do what they say. But it does tell you how open or not open they might be. So you might wonder, well, where is it in Australia? Let's take a look. So four in 10 Australians, 42%, 
would say they would go to an Easter service if invited. That's a pretty remarkable number. A further 19% of those surveyed said they were unsure, 3 in 10 said they would not go if invited, and 10% said, this might be one of the sadder statistics, they have no close friends or family who attend church. So, so here we find four, more than 4 in 10, I don't want you to miss that, more than 4 in 10. And so she goes on to say, while up to 42%, the release says, well, up to 42% might go to church at Easter time, the actual numbers of Aussies attending Easter services over the last three years are much lower at just 17%. Because you might say, well, maybe those 42% already were, or they were Christians. No, no. So 17% say they've gone. Now, if 17% of Australians came to church, every church in Australia would be packed. But 42% say that they are willing, they would be open. Actually, they said that they would come if invited. So this American doesn't come over to say, this is what you should do because it's based on my experience. Let me give you Ruth Powell's words. People are more receptive to attending church at a significant time like Easter, so she says, go ahead and invite them. So what an opportunity we have, right? So this Holy Week from Palm Sunday, we have names for Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, is a great opportunity for us to reach out to our neighbors and Jesus actually tells us to pray for the harvest field. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. Now keep in mind that this passage is between Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Living, and Matthew chapter 10, Kingdom Mission. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is going to send the disciples into the harvest field. Don't miss it. We're at Matthew 9, 35, the 38, the last verse, and in the next chapter, he sends the disciples into the harvest field. What's going on there? Let me see if I can give another example from my, my middle daughter, right? So um, also had the privilege of bringing her here to Australia. We started in Adelaide, wonderful city. Um, uh, started with a group, group, small group of leaders that hosted us the first night we were there trying to stay up. And I still remember that uh, they, they, they just, they all looked at me, they smiled and they sort of gave me this like, look, just go along with it. So I did. And they started telling me what I learned is a tradition in Australia when you have Americans, they started telling my daughter to be careful about the drop bears. All of you recognize the drop. So we were, and so they pulled up on the internet and showed her what drop, it was quite terrifying, quite terrifying. Um, so, so my youngest, my middle daughter, just like me, she looks like me, she acts like me, she thinks like me. If you put a goatee on her, you would think it's me. Um, and so she is also messy like me. So one day, I was up in her room not that long ago. She's since gone off to university, but I went to see her, and uh, her room was a mess like it always is. And I stood in her room, she's sort of over there, and I'm looking out the window. This is a classic dad move. And I look out the window and say, do kids today in Wheaton, Illinois, not know how to clean their rooms? Classic dad move. Um, now, here's the thing. I actually wasn't talking about kids in Wheaton, Illinois. Right? I was uh, making a point that she knew exactly what I was saying. I was saying to her, you should clean your room. Now, here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Um, 2,000 years ago, Jesus says to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. And if you're a close reader of the Bible, the next chapter after Matthew 9, 38, the next chapter, he sends them as workers into the harvest field. So when Jesus says them to pray, he also, I think, is reminding us that in part, he's the answer, they're the answer to that prayer. Because it's a reminder for us and a clear path for us to understand that from the beginning of the Christian faith, the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for 
people. Now, that's our call. So here we are in perhaps the most receptive week of the year. Is this next week? And perhaps one of the most receptive times in our lifetime, considering the last few years, considering how people have uh, now coming back out more and more, the opportunity before us, I think, is significant. And I can pray, and I do pray, right? I pray that, I pray for my, my dad, still not a believer, so I pray, and I've been praying, Lord, send people where he lives to share the gospel with him, right? I pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers in his harvest field. And my dad calls me recently and says, there's one of, one of you, you in, moved into the neighborhood. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, it's a Christian, and he's reaching out to me. And, and, uh, and you know, my dad and I are close, and we kind of, you know, kind of smiled, and I thought to myself, yeah, we have people everywhere. Um, so here's the thing. I'm praying for the Lord of the harvest to send workers in the harvest field, but I am also part of the answer to that prayer is I share the gospel with my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, and my family as well. You see, if we really believe the gospel is true, Jesus came to rescue us. Paul writes in Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was, there was no possibility of rescuing ourselves. That's why we call him our savior. He saved us and rescued us. Now, if that's true, we want to share that and tell that to others. But let me give an earthly example that might speak to the heavenly situation. Because, no, we, we hear that, I, I shared this at the 8.30 service, and then they, they had the kids sing it a little bit later on in the later service, but there's this chorus. It's a little cheesy, but it goes like this, Lord, I lift your name on high. There's hand motions to it, right? Love to sing your praises. Here's the chorus. You came, and there's hand motions, you came from heaven to earth to show the way. Listen to what it says. You came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. That's a description of what Jesus did. He came to earth to rescue us, dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to save ourselves. We literally, through the Christmas season, sing, Christ the Savior is born. He has come to rescue us. And maybe an historic, a recent example might help us. On August 5th, 2010, in a cave in Chile, there was a pretty much a doomed group of 33 miners. You might be remembering now the story. Everyone assumed they were dead. There was a collapse of the mine. They couldn't get out. People couldn't get in to get them. They were gone. People, they didn't find them. No one had ever lived this long due to the pressure of the families and global pressure. They kept searching. They, they sent down drill bits larger maybe than this microphone, sent down a drill bit, looking, never finding. People were beginning to get to the place, no, these people are dead and gone. They're dead. If we even find them, they're dead. So, but they started drilling holes and, and eventually someone tapped on the end of the drill bit and, and the world was like, no, someone's alive in there. And, and then they put the drill bit back and they put a note on it and the note said, mi español es muy malo, pero dice, my Spanish is really bad, but it said, estamos bien el refugio los treinta y tres. Here's what it is in English. We are well in the shelter, the 33 of us. See, here they were, but they were, I mean, they were, they were dead men walking. The technology did not exist. Nobody had a plan to rescue them. So they sent a camera down and what came back was this blurry image. You remember it, everyone around the world saw this bloody image, but they, everyone knew. I mean, you watch the news, they were dead men walking. No one had ever gotten out. There was no way to get them out. They needed hope and there was 
no hope. So the families began to stay together and put pressure on the government to keep trying. And the families created a camp kind of above where some of the drill bits were going down. They called the camp Camp Esperanza. Camp Hope is what that is in Spanish. Hope had a name, but they needed a means to rescue them. It had never been done before. The technology didn't exist, so they had to make it as they went. So they built something that had never been done before. They built this capsule, this capsule that, that would then go into this. They made a larger hole the size of this capsule. If you look closely, you can see the wheels on the side of the capsule. It's a small capsule. There's not a lot of room in there. Let's just say the, the bigger guys might have had a little bit of a difficulty fitting in, in my case. So, but this has never been done before, right? This, this was 2,300 feet down. I should have made the translation into meters. Help me, how, how far is that? Three quarters of a kilometer through the rock down. We still measure in feet. The length of the king's feet is still a deciding term for my country, Myanmar, and Liberia. So you bet the rest of you will come back to it, but right now we're holding the ground for the king's feet. But they were 2,300 feet down, three quarters of a kilometer, uh, dead men walking, but someone, to make this work, someone had to get down there, make a way. And yeah, it sounds like the gospel. They were dead men walking in need of a rescue. But Jesus came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. 2,000 years ago, he came. The king of the universe came. And he came and was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sin and in our place. Now, all metaphors break down, but let's keep learning about this moment because they knew that it might not be survivable to go down three quarters of a kilometer in that small capsule. So someone had to go try. His name was Manuel Gonzalez. He wasn't one of the miners, he was actually one of the rescuers. He, he gets into that capsule and they start lowering it down. The people start to sing at Camp Esperanza. They start singing the Chilean national anthem. They knew this was the moment of rescue and it goes all the way down. They know how far it is because the drill bits have gone before. It goes all the way down and they don't know, is he still alive? They don't know Manuel Gonzalez if he's going to make it back out. And so they bring him back up and they open the capsule. And this is actually that very moment when they open the capsule and he comes out. And the tears come because he made a way. Manuel Gonzalez has shown there was a way. Now, again, the metaphor breaks down because Manuel Gonzalez did not have to die to effect the rescue. He didn't, make, he didn't make the trip planning to die as King Jesus did. King Jesus came, lived a perfect life, then died a sinner's death, descended to the dead, as we said in the creed. Then God raised him up on the third day. Jesus showed the way. Manuel Gonzalez showed the way, but Jesus showed the way because he was the way and is the way. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have, a, I have a secret vice that I'm going to confess here. I love 80s rock and roll ballads. One of my favorite bands is on my phone right now is Air Supply from the great country of Australia, from Melbourne, Australia. But they're not the ones who sang this song. One of my songs that I love because it points is, is actually a song that goes like this. Every night I say a prayer in the hope that there's a heaven. But every day I'm more confused as saints turn into sinners. He goes and says, I feel this empty place inside. I, I'm afraid I've lost my faith. And the song goes, show me the way. Show me the way. Take me tonight to the river and wash my illusions away. Please show me the way. Jesus did. He showed the way. He was and is the way.
A few years ago, I wrote an article in a website in my country called CNN.com, and they published it on Good Friday. The title of the article was, Why Your Friends Keep Inviting You to Church at Easter Time. That was the title of the article. It became the most read article over Holy Weekend, over, uh, from Good Friday to Easter. Uh, not because everyone liked it. I mean, people were mad. The article comments, or never read the comments. They're terrible. And, but here's what I wrote. I said, don't be shocked that your Christian friends think that Jesus' last words, I've talked about the commissions of Jesus in CNN, that Jesus' last words should be their first priority, particularly around Easter, the day they believe he came back from the dead. Their sharing with you means they care enough to get uncomfortable. Now, here's the thing. I really want to encourage you to hear the words of Jesus this Holy Week. I want you to worship on Good Friday and special attention to what's going on in the Scriptures on, on Holy Saturday, Monday, Thursday, and, and Easter Sunday. But I also want you to recognize that we have been sent by Jesus on mission, and 42% of the people in Australia say they're open. Not only they're open, but they would come if invited. The question is, if Jesus indeed rescued us, if we were dead men and women walking, but he came to earth, opened up the path because he was and is the way, could we not have the same compassion that he has for people who don't know him? Could we not be about the same work of the kingdom, showing and sharing the love of Jesus? Could we not hear the words of Jesus in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So as I close today, I want you to hear the words of Jesus, who says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. Hope you heard those words. I want you to hear these words that are on the screen. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because after Matthew 9:35, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field, comes Matthew chapter 10, and he sends them. And Jesus, not surprisingly, says to us, I am sending you. 2,000 years later, in Sydney and the surrounding environment, we have the opportunity to join Jesus on mission to a culture that's more secular every day, but still open to the good news of the gospel and that simple Easter invitation. So I wonder if you pray with me. Uh, let's pray, just as the Lord said to, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. Lord, we come before you today. We, um, we acknowledge that, um, that, that we have friends and family and neighbors and coworkers who don't know you. Lord, give us a compassion, as Matthew records you had for them. Give us that compassion. Just as you're praying right now, Maybe in your mind's eye, think of that friend, that family member, that coworker, that neighbor. And ask the Lord to burden you with the compassion Jesus has for those who are like sheep without a shepherd. Ask for his grace and strength. Ask to be used as a citizen of his kingdom, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. And then pray, just as we are right now. Lord, Lord of the harvest, send workers into your harvest field. People represented here, their friends, their family, their coworkers, their neighbors, send workers into the harvest field. And Lord, we know that that includes us. So Father, we remind ourselves of the very words of Jesus, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Lord, send us into your harvest field. Maybe just take just a moment even now, pray that maybe people, might be people you could reach out to this week, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, because this could be your opportunity to share with them how Jesus rescued you. Father, help us to hear those words 
of Jesus, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you, and respond in Jesus' name, for it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen.